We're in Acts chapter 20 um, this morning, and we're continuing in our sermon series. And I wanted to start this morning with, uh, I know we've been sitting and listening for a little while, so we're going to start with the interactive portion of the service first. So I have a couple questions. I have four questions. The good news is the first three questions have the same answer. So if you get it wrong the first time, you'll nail it on the second two. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to start with these questions. The first one is... Um, on, up on the slide. What is the title of our series through Acts? And I'd, I'd like it if we answer it out loud together. So one more time. What is the title of our series through Acts? Witnesses. Witnesses. Great. Fantastic. And what were the apostles in the book of Acts? Witnesses. And what are we called to be in the world today? Witnesses. Man, you guys are nailing it today. All right, fourth one. We're going to mix it up a little bit. Whose gospel are we called to be a witness to? Jesus is. Excellent. Thank you. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28.18-20. The Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, We thank you that this morning you've called us, each one of us, to be a witness to what what we're reading, to uh, what we're singing about, Lord, to your gospel. The gospel of Jesus, which is a a gospel that's unlike anything else that we hear in society and in culture. Lord, it's it's counter to. And so we pray that this morning that you would give us ears to hear, that we would hear your truth, that you would give us eyes to see as we read your word, God, and then that you would give us mouths that would open and proclaim who you are. God, even as Jeremiah has, has commissioned and challenged us over the summer to to declare your word and your gospel truth to those that we're in relationship with. Lord, we thank you for this passage that we get to read today and and look at. We thank you for Paul and his ministry. We ask that um, we would hear your truth this morning and that it would change, that we would not leave the same way that we walked in, but there would be a, a transforming that happens by the word of God in our hearts and in our minds. We trust you for these things. We know that you are the giver of good gifts, and so we ask expecting you to do it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I forgot to introduce myself earlier when we were doing the verbal call, but I'm Joel, and uh, it's really good to be here this morning with all of you. We're in Acts chapter 20, and, and to be honest, as we go through uh, over the summer, we're, we're finishing up Acts, and we're going to be flying. You're going to be like, man, this is... We didn't even touch this. And, and so there will be some times where we just read the scripture, and that's, that's really all we're going to do. And then we'll dive into some other parts. But today, in chapter 20, we're going to look at how Paul goes from Macedonia and Greece to being in Miletus and uh, his address to the Ephesian elders. And so we're in, in here, and the fir- there's five things that I'm going to go ahead and, and give, you the, give you the answer to the test at the end. Five things that we want to look for today. We want to remember the encouragement that Paul gives as he goes around to the churches on his missionary journey and he encourages them. 
We want to remember the example that he sets. And he actually references and points to it as he's addressing the Ephesian elders. We want to remember the gospel that he preached. And we'll read some of that in Ephesians today. We want to remember his warning to the, to the uh, Ephesian elders to protect the flock. And then we want to look at the way that he does it because he does it in the context of relationship with all of these people. Um, and so those are, the, those are the things we're looking for this morning. We'll start in chapter 1, or in uh, verse 1 of chapter 20. It says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Verse 2, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. We see it right there in verse 1. It says, after encouraging them. Verse 2, he's given them much encouragement. The whole purpose of what Paul is doing in traveling to, to the church is to give the encouragement that comes with the gospel. He's reminding them of who they are in Christ. He's pointing them to the best news, reminding them of the best news that they can hear. And so we see Paul goes around encouraging the church. He spends three months there. He has uh, this list of, of fellow partners in the gospel that are going with him. Verse five, they go ahead and go to Troas and he sailed to Philippi. Uh, sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days he came to Troas where he stayed for seven days. And then after kind of this travel narrative, we get into this, uh, the narrative about Eutychus being raised from the dead. And as we read that, it's hard to, to really take it into context because it seems like it's just kind of a glossing over. This, this, this young man falls out of a window he falls three stories, he dies, Paul picks him up, says it's okay, he's still alive, and then they all just rejoice and are encouraged much. And that's the, that's the story that we have written for us. And we, we can imagine that if we were there, and a, and a young man falls and dies, and we're all panicking, and then Paul just goes over and raises him from the dead, we would think that that was pretty important. <laughs> we would kind of be blown away. We would make, probably write a little more than what Luke wrote. Right? We would be like, man, it was awesome. He was dead. Everybody was crying. All of a sudden, Paul came, healed him, and, and he was alive. But, but it's more of just a narrative going through the story. And we've seen this sovereignty of God peace throughout all of Acts. We've seen it. Remember in Acts chapter 9 where Peter raised Dorcas from the dead, where by the power of God, right, God uses Peter to pray for Dorcas and she rises from the dead. The same thing happens here. Eutychus is dead and that God raises him from the dead. We also have seen the sovereignty of God that not only can he give life, but he can take life away. We saw it with Ananias and Sapphira, right? Where God, a righteous judge, judged rightly and said that they, had, uh, that they were wrong and he, and he killed them for their, for their lying. And so we have this peace that God restores and gives life and God takes life away. And, and sometimes that's hard for us to wrestle with. But the beauty of it is there's nobody better to sit on that judgment seat and to proclaim life and to proclaim death than God himself. He's righteous, he's holy, he is just. And now we have the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel that Paul is reminding them of. I think for me, one of the pieces that I take away from the story of Eutychus and him being raised from the dead is how I take life for granted. I take it for granted that every morning I wake up and I have air to breathe and I just go on with my day. And yet I don't recognize that that is a gift from God 
I take it and, and I have this sense of entitlement and, and we love this uh, hip hop group called Beautiful Eulogy and they have a song called Entitlement and they, one of their lines is that even the air we breathe is a gift we think that we're entitled to and yet if we can have the right understanding of what it is, we can wake up in the morning and say, God, you've given me this breath. Thank you. God, I don't deserve it, and yet you've given it to me, and now I have the opportunity to go out, to live life, to proclaim who you are, to proclaim the good news of Christ. And so we see in Acts chapter 20, we saw one and two where he encouraged them, and he continues to give them encouragement, and then at the end of the story of Eutychus, in, chapter, or in verse 12, it says, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. They were rejoicing. They were proclaiming that God was amazing, that, that, they, that Eutychus was dead and now he's alive and they're rejoicing. It's not a little comfort, it's a lot of comfort, a lot of encouragement. So that's the, that's the goal of what Paul is doing is he's going around to the churches, preaching this gospel, reminding them of the gospel. And he's going to do it again as he goes to uh, Miletus to speak to the Ephesian elders. So let's keep, keep moving. We are now... Verses 13 through 16 simply tell of Paul's traveling from, um, uh, excuse me, Paul's traveling from Troas on to Miletus where he calls to the Ephesian elders to come to him. Let's pick it up in verse verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. The first thing when Paul is addressing these Ephesian elders, and maybe you're saying, well, I'm not an elder. The, the, Paul's address to the Ephesian elders is the same address that he would make to any partner in the gospel. We've, we've just talked about how the work of the church is the partners in the church declaring through the simple means of grace, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's by inviting people over for dinner, whether it's by uh, offering to pray, we are the body of Christ. So Paul's encouragement and his challenge to the Ephesian elders is the same challenge that we have today. So I'd invite you to listen carefully to what he says. It says, you've seen the life that I live because of the gospel. We're looking in verses 18 through 20 and then 33 through 35. It says that it was a consistent gospel. It was a consistent life that reflected what he had learned. He spent three years with them, and it says that from the first day, he consistently lived these things out. He served the Lord with humility. He was serving. He was humble. He was bold. It says that he did not shrink away from declaring to you anything that was profitable in verse 20. We jump down to... Uh, 33, looking more at the life that Paul lived. He says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years, sorry, 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And in all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He didn't covet anything, but he was content He labored. He worked hard. We talked about uh, last week and and the weeks leading up to this that he was a tent maker, that he worked with um, Priscilla and Aquila 
making tents. He labored and he showed that. And so maybe you're saying, well, I'm not an elder. Maybe, maybe you're not a vocational minister. And yet you have the opportunity to show and present the gospel in the way that you work hard, in the way that you labor, in the way that you show contentment, right? And so Paul is pointing to all of these things and reminding the elders from Ephesus of the life that he lived, helping the weak, giving and not receiving. The second thing he reminds them of is he reminds them of the gospel of repentance and faith that he proclaimed. Verse 21 through 27 Paul's talking to them and he says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel that he's preaching is a gospel of repentance. That we turn from the old ways and then we look to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's the bad news. The good news, verse four, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, him, walk in them. This is Paul writing to these same Ephesian elders and to the church in Ephesus, and he's reminding them of the gospel. He's preaching the gospel to them, the gospel of grace. And so here, as he's in Acts chapter 20, as he's Speaking to them, he's testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God, that turning away of the old ways that we were all part of. We were all dead in our sins. And now we're walking in the life that Christ has given us. It says, now behold, he's going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. In verse 22, 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I need not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, except that I finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is the gospel that he preached to them, and he's reminding them. Nothing else matters as long as I finish the race and continue to preach the gospel which was given to me, the gospel of grace, the gospel that says that I was a condemned sinner, and yet Christ died for me. And he took upon himself my sin and my shame and he gave me his righteousness. And at the cross that exchange was made and it was done completely. And I can walk in freedom and life because of that. And so he's reminding the Ephesian elders of that. And this morning we need to hear it again. We may have heard it in community group you know, a couple days ago, but we need to hear it again this morning of who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. Paul's gospel was testified to by the Holy Spirit. It's the gospel of the grace of God. 
Verse 25, he went around proclaiming the kingdom. So the gospel is a, is a proclamation of the kingdom that is coming. He's boldly declaring the whole counsel of God. It says in verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. It's a big piece because some of it is hard. Some of the counsel of God is hard news that, that really condemns us as sinners. And yet if we just ignore that, we miss the grace piece. We miss out on what does it mean that we are no longer sinners, that we are no longer seen as sinners in the eyes of God because of what Jesus has done. But if we can't recognize that, we don't experience the fullness of grace. And the gospel that Paul preached was not only the means of grace, but it was the reward of grace. We have this inheritance of those who are sanctified. It says in verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So often we think of uh, the gospel as just this thing that's going to get us to this place where eventually we'll be satisfied and happy, and yet the gospel is for us now. We have Jesus now. He is the satisfaction that we desire and everything that we run to, we have him now. And so the gospel is not only the means of our salvation, but it is the reward of our salvation that now, today, we get to experience the righteousness of Christ. We get to experience right relationship with each other because of who God is. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right now we see bits and pieces, and we, we're in awe. We, we give God glory when we see him working. And yet there's going to be a day where we're going to see him face to face, and we're going to be blown away by who he is. And all of, our, all of the things that we desire, that we run to other things for, we're going to find that satisfaction in him. And it's going to be sweet. So Paul first points to his life and says, remember the way that I lived among you, as he's, as he's speaking to the Ephesians. Secondly, he pointed to uh, the gospel that he preached. And the third is he came with a, a warning. And his warning was to pay attention and to be alert. Verses 28 through 30. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. We have this warning. And again, it's not just a warning to the elders. It is a warning that's, that's valid for us today. The first is pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay attention to what you're believing, both what you're saying you believe and what you're actively believing. Because if we say that we believe that God has the power to heal and to save and to redeem, and yet we walk around not living that, not not understanding that to be true, do we really believe it? And so we need to pay attention, pay careful attention to ourselves. Am I believing something that doesn't align with what the, what the Word of God says? Am I picking bits and pieces that I like and, and then ignoring parts that I don't like? So pay attention to yourselves. 
The second thing was pay careful attention to the flock. Listen to what others around us are, are, are saying. If we're looking for satisfaction somewhere else, it's going to come out in, in what we say, in our words. It's going to come out in our attitude. And so we have the opportunity to listen, to pay careful attention, and then to speak the truth of the gospel, that we are redeemed, that we are bought with a price. And that if I'm bought with a price, that means that my wife, who maybe I'm in an argument with, she's also bought with a price. That same price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so now I'm beginning to remember the truth and pay careful attention to both her, her truth, what she's believing, and what I'm believing. And then he says, care for the precious church of God. And he even qualifies what makes the church precious. It's not precious by its own value. It's precious because of the price that was paid for it. The shedding of the blood of the Son of God to redeem a a church to himself. That's what makes the church precious. That Jesus died on the cross to save a people for himself. Then he says, protect from fierce wolves. There's an outside, there's an enemy, and he is prowling, and he, he wants to destroy the church because by destroying the church, he takes away some of the glory that is due a great God. And so there are fierce wolves outside that would want to tear down uh, the church of God. And so Paul reminds the elders to, to, to protect from those wolves. And then the last thing he says, and this is the, this is the one that caught my attention, is verse 30 and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples from them twisted things drawing away from the gospel you know we ask how can good things become twisted things and and we've actually looked at this a couple times as we've been walking through acts what what is the what is the false gospel what is the thing that's being proclaimed that is not true and doesn't align with the word of god how do those good things become twisted things? I think we've been given one of them early on, and that's that if we use a partial truth, uh, not the whole counsel of God. And, and Paul talked about it. He said, I came with the full counsel of God. We've, we've mentioned it, that we can pick and choose what we want to hear, what, what sounds good to us, what we can uh, you know, rationalize and agree with, and then the other parts we ignore. And so our hope is that we are taking all of God's word, that we're reading all of it, that we're allowing all of it to affect how we think and feel and how we pray and how we, our worldview of what's going on. And so we, we pay attention to the full counsel of the word of God. The second thing that is clear for the Ephesians, and, and we'll see it as uh, we jump to Revelation, is, is a wrong motivation. Revelation 2, John has given letters to the churches, and particularly there's a, a letter to the church in Ephesus, Revelation 2, 2 through 5. It says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. All of these things are good things. Man, if you're that church, you're excited. You're like, yeah, man, we're doing those things. We're, we're enduring. We're p- persevering. And he says in verse 4, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. You see, Paul is, 
is reminding them that, that there can be these twisted things that rise up. How good things, gospel things, become twisted things. And one of the things is the motivation. What is motivating us? Is it our passion for Christ or is it our own self-righteousness? Because that, that passage in Revelation, some of those things that are being accredited to them could just be self-righteousness. And so he, he calls them out and he says, but you've forgotten the first love. Are we focused on who God is or are we just trying to live out this Christian walk? And so our reminder this morning is, is to check our motivation, to say, am I pursuing you because I realize the grace that I have in Christ or am I pursuing you because this is what I've trained myself to do? This is what I've trained my family to do, right? Why are we here? Let's check our motivations. God, do I believe that your grace is sufficient? I think um, the, the last piece, right, five things. The first one was to remember the encouragement that Paul offered. Remember the life that he lived. Remember the gospel that he preached. Protect the flock is the warning. And then look, the last thing to look at is how all of this is done. All of this is done in relationship. Paul had planted these churches and now he's traveling around and he's remembering and they're, they're gathering together. Particularly this, the, the Ephesian elders. It says in verse 17, now from Miletus, he, call, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Well, well, what it doesn't say is that that's more than a day's travel away. But they came. They came because he was close enough that they could, they could come. And so there's a relationship that they have that they left whatever it was they were doing and came and listened to his encouragement. Jump down to verse 36. It says that when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. So he called and they came and then they prayed together. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and they kissed him. So they're weeping together. They're showing this great affection. And then verse 38, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. There's a, there's a strong love, desire for each other. And a lot of that is seen because Paul remembers the purchase price of this church. Paul remembers that if, if Christ died for this church, then there's value in every one of them. They are made in the image of God. And so now there's this deep, authentic relationship. And I think about the joy in the sending and leaving, and I can't help but think about the bumbleos and, and how much we love you guys and, and the joy that we have in the sending and the leaving and that we've been able to do this together as a family for a while. And I think of others that have gone and, and that we've rejoiced and celebrated that God is going and that he's going throughout throughout. Uh, all of the earth with the gospel of Jesus. And so this morning, all of these things are done in the context of relationship. We need to remember that gospel because all of these other points are lost without it. The gospel that says that you are saved by grace through grace alone. When I think about um, the twisted thing, I think that there's something that we all want to add to grace. 
We all want to bring something to the table that we can hold on to and say, I did that piece. And yet if we really trust that the gospel is true, then it's by the work and power and grace of Jesus Christ and him alone that we're saved. This morning, I pray that we would remember that. Paul makes reference to grace so many times throughout this passage, through the Ephesians passage. He understands that everything that's been given to him is because of what Jesus has done and that he brings nothing to the table. And that makes much of the Savior. That gives much glory to God the Father. Pray that as we're going out this week that we would remember these things, that we would be reminded, that we would also have the opportunity to remind others of the grace of God that that has been purchased for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for... uh, pointing to practical aspects of life that we can live to declare your glory. We thank you for the words that uh, are part of the gospel that we have to proclaim, that we can say that, that we are sinners and yet Jesus came and died for us, that it, he was broken for us, that he paid the price that was due us for the wages of sin, and we all have sin, was death And Jesus died that death for us. Lord, we pray that we would remember this gospel, that it would uh, change the way that we think and view life, that it would change the way that we treat each other, that it would change the way that we um, use our core time. God, I pray that we would um, be imitators of Christ. Pray that the gospel of grace would would take deep roots in our hearts and in our minds. And that this week we would um, live lives out of gratitude for this great grace that you've given us. That we would be generous with our lives. That we would pour out everything that we have to make your name known. We ask these things in your name. Amen.